The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. Last week, we ended up with a call of distress and a call for help. Is any coming? Is there really any hope? Or has the darkness grown strong enough to move beyond its shell in the winter residence? Will it now move freely amongst Montgomery? Or is there a trick up Jonah's sleeve? Remember, children, that this podcast does contain images of graphic violence, sometimes child endangerment, and lately plenty of that naughty, salty language we have all grown to know and love. So cuddle in and grab your tentacles as we head into the Christmas horror day with this Tentacle Tuesday and Chapter 13, Heartbreak and Chaos. Chief Reynolds lay in a fitful sleep on the sofa in his office. He had chosen to sleep here instead of heading home. Tossing and turning in the midst of a nightmare, he woke up screaming. Sweat poured down his face and he felt cold to the bone. What was that? He tried to recall the dream, but everything was dark, vague, everything but a nagging, screaming pitch. Don't go in! Sitting on the edge of the couch, he rubbed his face and eyes, trying to shake the remnants of his dream. When a knock came at the door, and before he could respond, Officer Hicks had stuck her head through the door. She was young, a new recruit. Sorry, Chief. It's the doctor from the sanitarium. That's fine, Hicks. Put it through to my desk. A moment later, the desk phone lit up, and the chief picked up the line. Reynolds? Sorry, chief. It's Dr. Stein. I'm trying to reach your detective, Moran. He's out on an investigation, doctor, he replied. Perhaps I could help? It's our patient, Casey Monroe. She keeps screaming for him. In the background, the chief could hear the nagging, high-pitched voice, the same one from his dream. Don't go in! Don't go in! His blood turned cold, but his professional instincts quickly took over. Don't go in, he asked. What the hell does that mean? I'm not sure, Chief. A commotion came from down the hall, and another line lit up on the phone. Hold on, Doctor. Reynolds? Chief, we just had a 1099 from Hall. Hall? Isn't he with Jones by the... Winter residence. He hadn't even gotten the words out of his mouth when he realized. Where is he? The chief said, abandoning the call and heading to the radio room. Apparently he's abandoned his post, sir. Our last communication from him was garbled. See if you can get him back, he insisted. Nothing, sir. What about Detective Moran? He had gone up there. Any word from him? Trying his frequency now, sir. At first it was nothing. Just static. Finally, after a couple more attempts, they heard a click. Moran! Moran! What's your status? For a moment they heard nothing although it was clear and the channel was wide open. Moran! Empty, hollow laughter, and the sound of voices met them in the background, and then it went silent. Can anyone amplify that? The chief barked. I'm sorry, chief. I'm still learning the system, Hicks replied. It was clear like everyone else present. She was rattled by the noises. It's okay, Hicks, he replied. See if you can get Riggs in early. Who's here? Who's on duty? Officer Simmons and Rodriguez, sir. Have them meet me in my office. ASAP. Yes, sir. And, sir? Yes, Hicks. You let the doctor on hold. Shit! He hurried back to his office. Dr. Stein, I'm sorry, I... But there was no answer. She must have hung up while waiting. 
Hicks. Yes, Chief. See if you can get Stevens on the line. I need him back here, stat. Yes, sir. Chief Reynolds nearly collapsed behind his desk. He had never lost an officer, and now he may have lost two. He looked at his reflection in the glass case that stood next to his desk. He looked old, tired. He thought about the unusual prisoner. Could all the nonsense he was spouting earlier be true? A knock came at his door. Enter! It was Rodriguez and Simmons. I need you to take a patrol car to the Winter Residence and see if you can figure out what's going on there. Don't go in the house. Just explore the grounds and see if you can find Moran, Jones, and Hall. Keep your radios on and going hot. I will have Bell and Cooper meet you there. They're already on their way. Chief. Yes, Simmons. What's going on? I wish I knew. He put his hand on the young man's shoulder. Just be careful. I have some things to take care of here before I can join you in the field. Yes, sir. Both men turned and headed out. Hicks, he called out. Yes, sir. Any word from Stevens? Not yet, but Riggs is here, sir, she replied. He's working on that last call from Detective Moran. Good. Thank you, Hicks. Good work. Officer Simmons and Rodriguez drove up to Chapel Hill and then down towards Clear Springs Path. The sun was now breaking over the horizon, giving light to the surrounding trees, brush, and vines. About a quarter mile in, they spied another patrol car. It had plowed headlong into an oak tree. The driver's door was wide open and a set of tracks were leading away, but not down the road. They seemed to lead back into the brush, not away from it. Pulling over and keeping their lights on, Focused on the abandoned vehicle, they checked in. This is car 18-9. Go, 18-9. We found car 84. Status? It's crashed into a large oak on Clear Springs Path. No sign of Hall, Jones, or Moran. Copy. Should we proceed to the Winter Residence, or... Chief says the Winter Residence is priority. Please proceed with caution. Roger, dispatch. They took the cruiser out of park and slowly proceeded down Clear Spring until finally they arrived at the cul-de-sac. Daylight crest over the field, hillside, and the remnants of snow. The house itself seemed like a blight. Even the sunlight bent strangely around it, as if trying to avoid it. Parking their vehicle, they got out and started down the stone pathway. Behind them, they heard an engine. It was another police cruiser. It was Bell and Cooper arriving to give them backup. They heard the doors close and watched as the two officers followed down after them. What's the stitch? Bell asked. We just arrived ourselves, so... Right, Bell said. Let's fan out. You two head to the right, we'll take the left. They didn't get more than a few feet when they spied Detective Moran's tracks headed into the snow, followed by a second pair of footprints they assumed belonged to Jones. At that, they called over Bell and Cooper and began to retrace the steps towards the porch. Oh, God, Rodriguez said, pointing towards a large splattering of crimson on top of the snow. They had no more begun to investigate when this time Simmons called out, Bell, Cooper, Rodriguez, over here! Simmons shouted, pointing towards a shotgun lying precariously in the snow. Bell froze and quickly turned away. A lone arm hung off of it. He picked up the radio on his side and called in. An hour later, 12 officers led by Chief Reynolds stood in the snow outside the winter residence. Bell, Cooper, I want you with me. The rest of you, fan out. Cover every foot of this place. I want Hall, Jonesy, and Moran found. God willing, somehow they're alive. He looked at the gaping doorway. Again a streak of blood. This one from about 15 feet from when they found the gun. It ran up the steps as if a body had been dragged in. Don't go in! 
The words still rang in his head. Taking his gun out of his holster, he, Bell, and Coop climbed the steps and entered the winter residence. Blood stained the floor, the wood soaked in it. The trail didn't go as deep as it did with Ben or Devin. No, they only needed to go as far as the stairwell to find both Jones and Moran. And unlike Ben and Devin, they found their bodies hung from the ceilings from a hook, like meat in a butcher's box. Their skin, eyes, and vital organs ripped off. Moran's body showing signs of teeth tearing out his flesh. Whoever or whatever had done this didn't devour them entirely. They left them like trophies, a mockery to their bravery, a mockery to their service. Cut them down! How long to CSU arrives? Reynolds demanded. They're here now, Chief. Okay, let them get to work. Where are you going, sir? I need to inform Susan Moran that Jay has had his last tour. They never found Hull or his body. He was recorded as missing. The chief arrived at a small house on Cobble Lane and barely made it out of his vehicle when he was met by a sobbing Susan Moran. I knew. Somehow, somehow I knew. She collapsed into him and he did what any good man would do. He stood there in the cold and held her. Warren arrived that evening. They were finally able to reach him. The look on his face was all anyone needed to see. The look of pain and bitter determination. Karen came over and stayed with Susie, while he, Chief Reynolds, Mayor Simmons, and Frank Giles met, this time at the station in the Chief's office. Warren, the Chief said, I'm glad you're back. Did you get any answers? Nothing believable, but... But that's what we thought before, the Chief acknowledged. Yeah... Warren replied. Where is this Jonah person? He's still being held, the chief replied. I wanted you back here before we met him again. What did he tell you? Warren asked. That we're dealing with some sort of demon or devil. Sorry, it's hard to keep this stuff straight. That's fine. I guess I should meet with him. Warren proceeded down the hall and to the holding cell. Jonah sat in the center of his room, his robes off and on his cot. He looked normal enough. About six feet tall, brown hair, lean, wearing a simple silk-like outfit that shimmered in the fluorescence. If it wasn't for the bandage running from his elbow to his left palm, there'd be nothing unusual about him. His eyes were closed, and he could hear him humming, something soft and soothing. Are you going to stand there all day, detective? Or are you going to ask me what you already know is true in your heart? Are you responsible for... For... Detective Moran's death? No. And, yes, the strange man said, giving him a look of, I tried to warn them. No and yes, Warren asked. It didn't hurt or kill him, detective. But if I had arrived here sooner, perhaps he would still be alive. And you said what killed him was a... Warren was still having trouble believing, even after meeting Terrence White, even after hearing the stories of his grandfather, Jack. Demon? Yes, detective. A very old and crafty one. One I thought I had killed 15 years ago. One that your grandfather banished to the waste even further back than that. Can you banish it? Defeat it? A few days ago I would have said yes with a certainty. Now? Why? What's changed? Warren asked. Something older than Glantros is here, detective. Something I've met before and... And... Warren was a little more than frustrated with his man's attitude. 
It's bed again, detective. Not meaning to be dismissive of you and your friend's feelings, but it has grown very powerful. Then what can we do? Warren demanded. I'm going to go and give it what it wants. Detective Stevens eyed him with suspicion. What it wants? Warren asked. Yes, detective, Jenner responded. Me. Well, I didn't see that coming. Jonah is going to feed himself to Eclatros. How will that help? Or does he have something else planned? I guess we won't find out until next year. So, Happy New Year and all that crap. Be safe, be kind, and above all, hug a tentacle. It's the right thing to do. 